Well, tonight we're going to dive into the book of Ecclesiastes. But I want to start by directing our minds to one of the most famous comedians from our generation, Robin Williams. Mm. I mean, we could just go on and on about some of the movies that he was in. I mean, think of the staples, Goodwill Hunting, Mrs. Doubtfire, Aladdin, Patch Adams, Dead Poets Society. I mean, we could go on and on. I mean, this guy was legendary. He could make you laugh, and then like a couple scenes later, he'd make you cry. I just saw a sketch a couple weeks ago from 1980. It was this comedy routine where he was dressed up as the American flag. And it was hilarious. Like, I was dying. It was awesome. And, I mean, he was gifted. And the accolades followed, right? He won one Academy Award, six Golden Globes, two, I think two Grammys. I mean, he had $130 million net worth at his peak, down to $50 million at his death. I mean, if anybody could find success and, and accolades through his, and, and pleasure, meaning, purpose through his career, I mean, it was Robin Williams, right? But unfortunately, you know the end of the story. 2014, after a decades-long battle with depression and a more recent battle with Parkinson's disease, he ended it all. He committed suicide to the surprise of many. But as we dig into the narrative of Robin's life, we'll find a decades-long search for meaning and purpose and satisfaction that he never found. He was married three times. In the 80s, he was addicted to alcohol and cocaine. And after partying one night with this, one of his best friends, John, John overdosed and died the next morning. And it sobered him up pretty quick. But then he turned back to alcohol in the 2000s. And then, you know, by 2014, he felt like, man, my life is not worth living. I'm going to end it all. And I wish that was the only celebrity that had that narrative. <laughs> but we could think of countless others that it seems like they have it all. They have the fame. They have the talent. They have the popularity. They have everything. Yet, they live a self-proclaimed, meaningless life. I think of Tom Brady, who lost, by the way, yesterday, but that's beside the point. Makes me feel a little better about Saturday night, but that's beside the point. Think of Tom Brady, 2005, the famed 60 Minutes interview. After he'd won three Super Bowls, and here's what he said. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. That's Tom Brady. Probably the best player to ever play the game. After being at the top of the mountain, he's looking down and he's saying, this is it? This is, this is it? This can't be all it's cracked up to be. He didn't find the satisfaction that he thought would be there. Tom Brady, Robin Williams, countless others who never found the happiness they were chasing after, even though they spent their entire life in the elusive pursuit of meaning. And those two examples uncover one of the core realities of our human experience, disappointment, frustration, and emptiness. We don't need to be a millionaire or a movie star to know that feeling. When we get to the top of the mountain and we think, this is it? When you land that new job or you get that promotion and two or three months down the road, you realize, Man, this isn't everything it's cracked up to be. Or you get married. Or you start dating. 
and you're in that dream relationship that you've always wanted. But then a couple months in or a couple years in, there's this season of disillusionment and you think, wait, this, this is not what it's cracked up to be. I kind of miss being single. Or maybe you've chased temporary pleasure through drugs or alcohol or sex and it provides the meaning, the purpose, the satisfaction for a season, but then it just leaves you in a worse spot than before. Or you make that big purchase. You buy the boat or you get that new car or you buy the Oculus and you think, man, this is gonna make me happy. But then a couple months down the road doesn't provide the satisfaction that it promised. I mean, think of all the things that we might turn to for meaning or for pleasure, work, money, relationships, adventure, sex, hobbies, politics, volunteerism, family. But in each one of those areas, we find that life is futile, that life is frustrating, and there's no way around it. We live in a world that's striving for the next best thing. Do you think anyone in their right mind would use the word content to describe our culture today? (laughs) Absolutely not. We live in a world that wants the next best thing. We have access to more money, more travel, more entertainment, more hobbies, more food, more social media than any generation before us, but depression and anxiety and dissatisfaction in general are at record-breaking levels. One would think that as prosperity and wealth would increase, that the world would become a happier place, but our culture has proved that is the complete opposite. But that prediction is actually exactly what we see in God's word from a text that was written over 2,000 years ago. Because there's one person who had more fame, who had more fortune, who had more power than Robin Williams or Tom Brady or frankly anybody in our culture, King Solomon. Hundreds of wives and concubines. A net worth that some have estimated today is $2 trillion in today's money. He had more wisdom and knowledge than we could imagine. Yet his conclusion was that life is meaningless. It's encouraging, isn't it? So if you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to start in chapter 1. Should be somewhere close to the middle of your Bible. There's Psalms, there's Proverbs, and then there's Ecclesiastes. We'd be hard-pressed to find a more relevant text for us tonight than the book of Ecclesiastes. Not just for our world, but for us. And if you skip over this book, or if you tune out our talk tonight, then you'll run the risk of living a wasted, empty, hollow, meaningless life. One of the most powerful things, yet one of the most sobering things about our young adult family is that many would say, you have your entire life ahead of you. Maybe your leaders have even told you that. Even more sobering, some of the decisions that you make in 2022 are going to influence and set the trajectory of your entire life. No pressure. And it's easy for us just to avoid the big picture questions. What's my purpose? Where do I find meaning? But when we avoid those questions, we run the risk of getting 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road and saying, man, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. Let's start with 1-1, Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher 
the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Well, it's pretty obvious why many suspect that Solomon was the author, isn't it? He was the son of David. He was king in Jerusalem. The word preacher is the Hebrew word kehelet. It means someone who addresses the assembly. So Solomon was likely the author, though there's plenty of scholars today that don't think he was based on some of the language within the book of Ecclesiastes. My non-expert opinion is that Solomon probably wrote it, but if he didn't write it, then somebody compiled his sayings at a later date and then talked or spoke in first person like they were Solomon. Since we can't know for sure, I'll just refer to the author as the preacher. But he doesn't take too long to get started. Verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea's not full. To the place where the streams flow, they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it said, see, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Let's look at verse two. Starts with the word vanity. Here's a quick Hebrew lesson. I know all of you brought your Hebrew Old Testaments tonight, but if you read this in your Hebrew Old Testament, it would sound like this. Hevel, hevelim, says the preacher. Hevel, hevelim, all is hevel. Now in Hebrew, to make a word plural, you add this, uh, the suffix im to the end of it. So that's the same word, hevel, hevelim. It's what's translated vanity. It means vapor or mist or, or meaningless. It carries this idea of brevity. And in Hebrew pro- poetry, when you had a, a singular word and then you followed it with the plural, it was like a superlative or an absolute. What Solomon, what the preacher is saying is, this is the end of the matter. This is absolute truth. Everything is meaningless. Everything is vanity. There is no exception. What an encouraging way to start a book. And to picture what the word hevel means, I brought a, a little toy from your childhood. Anyone use one of these in the last week? Let's see if I know how to do this. If you could see in front of me, you'd see a little pile of vapor on the ground. That's hevel. It's meaningless. It's brevity. It's vapor. It's mist. That's what this Hebrew word means. And it's the theme word for the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a word that we're going to see over and over and over again through this text. And Solomon, he doesn't provide a single exception. Everything is vanity. The preacher searched out everything. He didn't leave a single stone unturned. He looked at money and sex and power and work and fame, and he's discerned, discovered that there's futility and frustration in every single one of those things. Everything is meaningless. 
And as he continues in our text for tonight, he uncovers a couple of those areas where we might find meaninglessness. Look again at verse 3. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Under the sun is a phrase we're going to see a lot in Ecclesiastes. It simply just means our earthly life, our earthly existence. What does a man or what does a woman gain by their toil? Toil would be work, kind of our, our earthly occupation. And the answer to his rhetorical question is, oh, you don't gain anything. Here's, here's what he means. Let's say that you spend your entire life working one job or a couple jobs. And then you get to that day, you turn 65, it's time to retire. And what do you get? Oh, retirement party, you get a cool clock, and then the company just moves on without you. That's Hevel. Or this, you spend a year, or maybe a couple months, working on a huge project for your boss. All of your effort goes into this project, and you come to the day that you put it on their desk, and they take it and shred it and throw it out the window. And you think, well, that was a waste. That's Hevel. Or how about this? You spend 30 years in one job working for one organization, giving them everything you have, and then for no reason, one day they show you the door and say, bye. That's Hevel. Or how about this? You spend $100,000 in four years pursuing a bachelor's degree, and 18 months into your job, you think, wow, I hate this. What's the point? I just wasted four years of my life in six figures. That is Hevel. Or let's say you're a stay-at-home parent. You wake up in the morning and there's an endless pile of dishes and you clean those and then it's time to vacuum and then it's time to make a meal and, and then it's time to do laundry. And before you know it, it's time to hit the hay and then you wake up and you do the same thing again, over and over and over again. What's the point? It's all this striving without any accomplishing. Don't think about it too long or you'll get depressed. It's Hevel. Look at verse 4. A generation comes and a generation goes, but the earth remains forever. When was the last time you walked through a cemetery? It's probably been a little while. And if you did, you looked at the headstone, what's on it? A name? A couple years? Separated by a dash? And then probably a saying or a Bible verse, maybe an engraved picture, I'm not sure. You ever thought about that? That individual lived a life, maybe 75 or 80 years, and their entire life is summarized by two numbers, a dash and a saying? Man, the sun still rises, the streams still flow, and the farther and farther that we're removed from someone's death, the less they're remembered. Do you even know the name of your great-great-grandparents? They're your relatives. And in 150 years, Nobody is going to know who I am unless Matthias' great-great-grandkids get really excited about Ancestry.com. <laughs> Don't think about it too long. You'll get depressed. It's Hevel. Look at verse 5. The sun rises. The sun goes down. It hastens to the place where it rises. And the, the preacher is, is looking at nature, and he looks at the cycles of, of the world. The sun is highly predictable. I was on Google today so I could know the exact time that the sun rises on Easter for our sunrise service. The sun is highly predictable. And if I'm not here by Easter, guess what? The sun is still going to rise at 6, 10 a.m. on April 17th. 
The rising and the setting of the sun is not dependent on you. It's not dependent on me. And neither the cycle of the wind. The wind blows, as Solomon says, from the north to the south, and it goes around and around. It's always moving, but it's never accomplishing anything. And then there's the water cycle. Have you ever thought that streams are always flowing into the ocean or into lakes or into seas, but they're never filling? I mean, the preacher saw a great example of this in Israel. If you've been there, the Jordan River flows south into the Dead Sea. It's always flowing. But what's happening to the Dead Sea? It's not filling. It's actually doing the opposite. I know if we're looking at it scientifically, that's the water cycle, right? It's a very important part of our ecosystem. But Solomon's not trying to make a scientific observation. Instead, he's trying to make a metaphor to our human existence that we're always doing, we're always striving, but we're never getting anywhere. It's hevel. Don't think about it too long or you'll get depressed. Look at verse 8. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. Hmm. Are you sure this wasn't written like yesterday? I mean, think about the world that we live in. When was the last time that you finished a series on Netflix and you said, wow, I'm really satisfied. I'm never gonna watch TV again. (laughs) You you might've said that, but then what'd you do the next day? Or how about this? When was the last time that you spent 30 minutes watching completely pointless Instagram videos or scrolling through TikTok, and then you said, wow, I'm so satisfied. I'm never doing this again. You might have said that, but then what did you do the next day? You probably scrolled through TikTok for 45 minutes, right? Because our eyes and our ears are never satisfied. We're always wanting more. It's Hevel. Look at verse 9 and 10. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it said, see, this is new. It's been already in the ages before us. (laughs) So wise. The preacher says, history repeats itself. When somebody says, wow, this is new, this has never happened before. Nah, it's happened. For example, if you've been watching the news recently, there's this ongoing threat of Russia to invade Ukraine. And we might think, wow, this is brand new. This has never happened before. No, it actually looks really familiar, like the Russian invasion of Hungary in 1956, or Czechoslovakia in 1968, or Georgia in 2008, or Crimea in 2014. It's the same old, same old. Or I hear some people say, wow, uh, the, the sexual immorality in our culture is like nothing the world has ever seen before. Nope, not if you know anything about the Roman culture and the world that the Bible, the, cult, the context that the New Testament was written in. Some would say it's actually worse than our culture today. Or how about this quote? I love this. The children now live in luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, and show disrespect to their elders. Do you know who said that? Your grandparents? Probably. And so did Socrates from the 5th century BC. So the older generation has been trolling the younger generation for literally thousands of years. There is nothing new under the sun cyclical. It's Hevel. That is a long list of meaninglessness, isn't it? So tonight we have a two-part big idea. That isn't just from our text tonight. It actually is going to set the trajectory for our entire study. Here's the first part. Life is meaningless under the sun. Life is meaningless under the sun. If we choose to find ultimate meaning and satisfaction in our life here, it is going to leave us empty. 
it might provide temporary meaning and temporary satisfaction, but at the end of the day, it's just hevel. It's just meaningless. It's going to leave us wanting more. And as we study the book of Ecclesiastes uh, over the next number of weeks of our series, we're going to dive into a number of different topics that the preacher looks into, helps us understand that somebody might look to find ultimate meaning in knowledge and education, but they won't find it. You might try to find ultimate meaning in pleasure, but you're not going to find it. You might try to find meaning through making as much money as you can or being as, as successful as you can, but when money becomes our pursuit, we'll only be satisfied when we get the next dollar. The preacher helps us understand that we are created for something more. We were created for something deeper, something so much more profound than just this cyclical life under the sun. And maybe that's how you're feeling tonight. Maybe you feel like your life is worthless and meaningless. Maybe you feel like a hamster on a hamster wheel, always going but never accomplishing. Maybe you feel like the horse that's lured by the ever-elusive carrot, always chasing but never succeeding. Or worse, maybe you feel like the mouse lured in by the peanut butter, only to find out that the very thing you craved was a death trap. Maybe this is your first or second or third time at Young Adults tonight. Maybe you're new to this whole church thing. And maybe you're here because you have this feeling, man, there's got to be more than this. The good news is that there is. There is. The answer is Jesus. Because the reason that our life is filled with meaninglessness, the reason that our life is filled with vanity is because of sin. That our world is filled with sin. That sin has affected every part of our world, not just around us, but here. And our own sinful choices have caused this giant chasm between us and God, a chasm that we can't cross, that we have no hope in having a right relationship with God. And, and we've earned by our own sin, eternity separated from God in a literal lake of fire. That is the worst possible news. But God in his grace sent Jesus, fully God, fully man, down to earth who lived in our place, living that perfect life. He went to the cross as our substitute, dying for us, paying the price of our sin and rising from the dead. It's the best news. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. If we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that you can be saved. You will be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. Only through Jesus can we find hope that rescues us from the meaninglessness of life. And that's the second part of our big idea. We find meaning through the Son. We find meaning through the Son, S-O-N. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him, you've never turned away from your sin and followed him, then you've got to talk to somebody. You've got to talk to a leader. You've got to talk to me. You've got to talk to the person that invited you. It is the most important decision that you can make because we need to find meaning and satisfaction through Jesus, not in our life under the sun. Because when we live within the framework of a Christian worldview, when God sets the standard for meaning, then literally everything changes because then we're not just living for the here and now, we're living for the then and there. We'll never find ultimate meaning under the sun because God's created us with this desire, with this longing for something more, for something greater, a desire that's written on the hearts of all people. That's part of what it means to be created in God's image. We know that there's something more. We know that there has to be something more than just this life here and now. That's why Solomon wisely wrote in chapter three, verse 11, 
God has put eternity into man's heart. We have this intuition that there's something more, that there's life after death. God's created us for eternity. And when we seek to find meaning and purpose on this side of eternity, we'll never be satisfied. We're created to worship, and we will all worship something. And if we don't worship God, then we're going to worship something that he has created, knowledge, wisdom, pleasure, money. But as the teacher will help us understand, the pursuit of any of those things make a really lousy God. It's like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. It just doesn't work. It's like trying to turn a quarterback into an offensive lineman. It won't work. It's like trying to turn me into an art teacher. It really won't work. (laughs) We find meaning when we live through Jesus and for Jesus. Because Ecclesiastes gives us this remarkable paradox. When we find our satisfaction in Christ, when we find our meaning and our purpose through him, when we're living our lives for Jesus, then our perspective on knowledge and pleasure and money and family and relationships, it completely changes. Because when Jesus is the center, when he's first in our life, when we find our ultimate meaning through him, then he gives us permission. It's really a gift to find enjoyment in our life. Knowledge and education, they're great things when they're not the ultimate thing. Relationships are great things when they're not the ultimate thing. We find meaning through Christ, and then, frankly, our life just becomes a lot less complicated. Jesus is the only way to explain the paradox that we see in the book of Ecclesiastes, where in one sentence, the preacher will say, life is meaningless. And then in the next sentence, he'll say, enjoy your life under the sun. Jesus makes sense of the paradox that when we live for ourselves, life is meaningless. But when we live for Jesus, then we have permission, we have the gift to enjoy the good life that he's given us. So as we wrap up tonight, I've got two thoughts that I want to help set the trajectory for our study. First, I want us to remember that Jesus determines our value. Jesus determines our value. The good news of the gospel reminds us that we're more sinful and depraved than we could ever imagine, but we're more loved and accepted in Christ than we could ever hope or dream. Our worth was determined at the cross, and our identity was determined the day that we were adopted into God's family. If you're anything like me, it's easy for us to find our identity in what we do, to find our identity in our performance and what we accomplish. I feel good about myself if I get to the gym five days a week and I write a sermon and I solve everybody's problems and counseling appointments and I plan for a mission trip and I make sure to spend time with my family. But I don't feel quite as good about myself if I don't get to the gym and I can't solve people's problems. Frankly, I can't solve my own problems. And Our value can be determined by what we accomplish. And I think that can translate into our relationship with God. Maybe we feel great about ourselves when we get up early and we spend time in the Word and in prayer. But maybe we feel not quite as good when we click the snooze button and skip our morning devotions and sprint off to work in a hurry. Maybe that sounds familiar. We live in a performance-driven culture. But our value and our worth isn't determined by our performance. Do you think God's in heaven on his throne just waiting for you to read your Bible? I don't think so. Because who misses out when we don't read? It's not God. It's us. Our value is not determined by our performance. Our value was determined at the cross. How much is your life worth? 
the blood of Jesus. You've been adopted into God's family if you know Christ. There's nothing that you or I can do to change that. We can't become unadopted from God's family. Certainly, we have responsibilities as Christ Christ followers. We have the opportunity to walk in obedience, but obedience does not determine our worth and our value to our Heavenly Father. Let me be blunt. There's a number of you here tonight who feel like you suck. You feel like God could never love you just because you're a bad Christian. My friends, guilt is never a good motivator to do anything. Your worth and your value and your identity, if you know Christ, has already been determined. It's been determined at the cross, not by your performance. Ecclesiastes reminds us that if we look to what we do, if we look to our performance, if we look to our accolades, our accomplishments to find meaning, it's not going to work. We find meaning when we allow Jesus to determine our worth and identity. Here's our second second idea that I want to leave you with tonight. Earth is not our forever home. Earth is not our forever home. We're just sojourners. We're nomads. We're we're living in a tent awaiting our eternal home and eternity. It's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You can uh, just listen as I read this. Paul says this, For we know that if the tent, that's our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we'd be unclothed, but that we'd be further clothed, so that what's mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who's prepared us for this very thing is God, who's given us the Spirit as a guarantee. We'll have an opportunity to unpack this text a little bit in our small groups tonight. But Paul's using a metaphor of tent camping. So it's kind of fun. I love to camp. Actually, I love to go backpacking. It's one of the things that Hannah and I love to do together. Now, but if I'm being honest, I love backpacking when it's like 75 and sunny. <laughs> today, it's not 75 and sunny today, is it, Jake? It's like 10 degrees. Do you know anybody in their right mind that's going to be outside backpacking tonight? Not in their right mind. It's cold. So some of us might choose to live in a tent for a couple nights a year, but you know, 365 days a year, there's no way. But that's the picture that Paul gives us of what our earthly life is earthly life is like. It's like living in a tent year-round. It's frustrating. It's cold. It can be kind of miserable, but at the same time, it's temporary. Imagine this. Next summer, Hannah and I go on a backpacking trip up to the UP for five nights, and I want to make the trip extra special. So I decide that I'm going to bring some artwork to hang in the tent. I'm going to bring some, bring some candles to take away that camping stench. I'm going to bring some paint, you know, make the inside look a little bit better. I'm going to bring the portable grill in my pack. I'm going to bring some filet mignons, and we're going we're gonna to live it up. I'm going to spend $500 to upgrade our rain fly so that the rain really doesn't come in our tent, even though we've never had a problem with that, right? If I did all those things, what would you say? Sam, you're stupid, right? You're camping for five days. Why would you hang artwork in your tent? <laughs> you know, I'm afraid... That's how some of us have treated our life here. That we've put a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy, a lot of resources, a lot of stock into a five-day camping trip. And that might sound extreme, but it's not. Compared to eternity, 
Our life is even shorter than a five-day camping trip. Our life is like a vapor. It's here for a moment, then it's gone forever. What are you investing in? Are you investing in a five-day backpacking trip to make that trip as comfortable and as fun as possible? If you're doing that, oh man, your life is meaningless. You're gonna get to the end of that trip and say, wow, what was the point? Are you investing in eternity? Are you investing in your eternal home that's not made with hands, that's God's preparing for us? Something that we can't see with our eyes, something that we look forward to with hope. That we make investments into our eternal home when we live for Christ today, when we spend time with him, when we live on mission for him. Those are the ways that we invest in our eternal home. Something I'm looking forward to. A day when there's no more crying or pain, no more mourning anymore, when Jesus is going to wipe away every tear from our eye and he's going to make everything new. That's the day I'm looking forward to. But what are you living for? Are you living for the here? Are you living for the there? If you know Christ, you have the answer for one of the biggest questions in our world. What's the point? What's the meaning of life? And if you're not living for Christ, if you're investing in your five-day camping trip, man, you're gonna get to the end and you're gonna say, man, I've wasted it. Don't let that be you. Let's pray. Father, um, your word is a double-edged sword and it'd be hard for us to find a text that <laughs> pierces any deeper than a book like Ecclesiastes. Sometimes asking the big questions um, can be hard, it can be painful, but give us the courage and the diligence to, to ask, what's my purpose? <laughs> How do I find meaning? And open our eyes to see maybe where we're investing improperly in our life. And give us the wisdom to make those eternal investments. Father, we want to live for you. We want to live on, on mission for you. So guide us even as we talk a little more about these things in our small group tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.